Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. Hello there. We're all three here. Yeah. It's like we planned it or something. You think so? Almost. So um, today is episode 33, and it is all about Kelly. She's one of the (laughs) co-hosts. So I guess I I will tell you what I know of Kelly. Um, We've known each other since, I think, 2000? 2000? Sounds about right. Yeah. We met on, as as was mentioned last week, we met on an Ani DeFranco fan site back when bulletin boards were a thing. Um, and then we have, um, we were in a World of Warcraft guild together for, what, a couple years? Mm-hmm. And, um, and... I don't know. I feel like you've been around for my entire adult life. So I'm trying to think of all the things. Um, Kelly, Kelly actually did shamanic work for me, intuitive work for me um, over the years, well before I ended up doing um, her intensive mentoring program. Um, and then I met Janet through the in- intensive mentoring program as well. And uh, we became this happy threesome. Um, but Kelly is a writer. She is. Uh, what 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 do we call it these days? Modern. Uh, I feel like there have been so many iterations of the thing that you've taught us all to do, even for you. I know, and and I think that's a good thing. Um, I think at this point, I just stick with author, Death Walker, and animist. I like that. I like that. So, Janet, I know you had very specific questions, so I'm going to let you start with questions. I have a very specific question, too, but I know Kelly has actually already gotten to prepare for your question, so you can ask first. I just have to say, to me, it's inconceivable. You two have known each other for almost two decades. Yeah. For some reason, I don't think it's been that long. And so when I, and I know it in one part of my mind, but in the part of my mind that actually works when I hear it, I get struck and I'm going, that can't be. Well, we were 12 when we met. Right. I thought it was six. Yeah, I mean, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So lady, my questions for you, we're going to start with the first one. Um, what do you like best about yourself? And this can be more than one thing. What was the question? What do you like best about yourself, Kelly? Oh, that one's hard because I I don't think in superlatives. Like I don't rate things as you know best, better, and never want to see again. Um, and maybe I, you know when we talked about this several weeks ago, Brandy was like, maybe that's your best trait. Maybe it is because I mean it it is ultimately a middle stance and that's my whole that's what my whole perspective in soul work and it's curious because 
other people take it as being fickle does not mean I don't have a perspective. It doesn't mean that I don't have an awareness of what's going on and how I'm situating into the dynamic, but it means that my natural space is to stand in between it, even when it comes to aspects of myself. And that seems to be where I mitigate dynamics best. You use the word betwixt a lot, don't you? Yeah, I do. I really do. Yeah. That's cool. That is really cool. So um, if you could be doing anything else in the world besides what you're doing, what would it be? Yeah, that's the um, the challenge of my brain is because I, I don't think I would be doing anything instead of. But I, in addition to, I would be an acupuncturist and I would be a full-time student and I would be a full-time professional genealogist. Ooh, interesting. It is. Nice. I think it's interesting how all of those tie together, too. At least in my mind, they do. Yeah, they do. They overlap a lot with what I already do between writing and soul work. And I feel like those are the things that I was always going to do. I mean, I knew from the time I was um, like four and five years old that I wanted to be an author. That was my whole life. My entire education was set up for that. And I also knew in childhood that I was having a soul experience that I, I didn't assume that other people weren't having it. And, and as I got older, I realized they were having it. They just didn't want to deal with it and they didn't want to hear it from me. And so just kind of the, the minutia around that, you know, dealing with it. But I knew very early on that these were the things that were going to show up in my life. I just didn't know how, I didn't know what my role in them was supposed to be. How has that role changed over the course of your life? Like realizing it really young up until now. There was no context for how, those skills could be helpful. Like there was purely just the awareness that I was seeing different layers of life that other people around me weren't acknowledging, you know, whether they were seeing them, they weren't acknowledging them and they didn't want to talk about them and they didn't want me to talk about them either. Um, So I, I feel like ultimately that was the change for me. And, and that's kind of the responsibility of anything that we're really good at. I think it's not just about woo stuff and, you know, intuition. It's not just about seeing the dead or whatever, whatever you're really good at is what you're supposed to bring. That's what everybody needs. So it's, I think at this point, the most recent iteration is I really feel like my area is holding space for the other people who are coming to those realizations, for the people who are realizing, yes, I do this stuff, I I read the tarot really well, or I am prophetic with dreams. How do I bring it forward in a way that benefits community? Mm. Yeah, I like that. And that's a lot. Go ahead, Brandy. I like that. And I, I feel like that is something that you do really well, like holding the space for people to navigate. I feel like navigate our, our paths 
like our soul paths in a way that pokes you know, at the shadow parts of it, you know, it prompts us to, I know you've prompted me a lot to like, look around me instead of just like trudging forward. And I think it's a really important aspect of navigating that path is to be able to, I don't know, acknowledge what's hard about it, acknowledge what's supposed to be hard, what, what sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be. And um, I think you're able to sit and help poke at the places that need poked um, really well. I think that's shadow stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a container for that in our culture and where we do have a container for it, it shit is supposed to stay shut up and it can't. And, and I mean that I, I like dark things. I, I really situate well in the dark aspects of, of death walking, of ancestral work, of shadow work. I can't say that I remember choosing that, but it, it's always been there. Yeah, and I think it's missing of a lot of, a, a lot of ways in which people are mentored anymore. Like there's very much the love and light, but it's, I mean, we don't have light without context and without shadow. And when you're learning, when you're when you're in a path where you're still actively learning basics of, you know, who you are and how you practice and what, what your place is, all that stuff, like, you know, shadow is what we don't know. So where are you looking for those things? You know, there's just right. that there's already light shining on. You don't, you don't need to learn about it. You, you're already looking right at it. Much of what we learn along the way, that is shadow work. It's mm -hmm. always like Go ahead. It's always been curious to me in traditional approaches to shamanism that I've studied, they dive right into shadow stuff at the beginning. And, and you don't even hear it brought up for the most part in a modern shamanic context, let alone incorporated into training. Mm -hmm. And one of my questions is actually, um, what is all of the training that you've had along the way? Because I know you and I've both done, you've done considerably more druidic study than me, but I know you've done druidic study. What, what has been your path of like learning from others along the way? What, is, what has that been like? It's been really convoluted because I started studying before there were resources. I mean, like truly in my late teens and what resources were available were still very Abrahamic and were really um, not helpful. Yet they were full of a lot of bad information. And so evolving into looking for teachers, you know, looking for mentors. Um, I've done a ton of shit. I, I have done, you name it. I've done multiple forms of Reiki, like all that new age crap. I studied the reconnection directly with Eric Pearl himself. And I've gotten to work with, oh crap, what's her name? The Pleiadian lady, Barbara Marciniak. I mean, she's, she's a pretty amazing person. I've, I've gotten to study with a lot of different people and a lot of different um, nuances of soul healing and different approaches of energy work and shamanic study. But I think the ones that really stand out to me are the ones that are kind of homegrown. And that's what that's what people don't want to hear, especially coming from white people. Like they don't want to hear that you have um, 
an approach to some kind of a tradition that's not rooted in something very traceable, either with lineage or with pedigree. But the people that I've learned the most from probably were Sherry Dillard, who mentored me off and on in the early 90s, and a lady named Mary Moody, who was um, a breathwork mentor, a holotropic breathwork mentor for me in the early 2000s, I think. Mm -hmm. What What was that second name? Mary Mooney. Mooney, okay. Kelly, when you said Abrahamic, were you talking about Christianity or Abraham Hicks? Oh, no, I'm talking about the the overarching um, Christian and pre-Christian bordering themes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I studied all the Abraham Hicks stuff and found it wanting, which is ironic to most of the other people who were studying it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit, uh, oh, you should tell us who, what, what uh, class and, and um, everything that you played in World of Warcraft. I don't remember what Gilly Measle was. It was Gilly Measle, right? It, well, it's, that was the secondary. She was a warlock. I don't remember what her flavor was because I can't remember. Well, I remember, she, mm, I don't remember what she did, Brandy. I mean, I remember some of the skills that she had, but I don't remember if that was her specialization. But I was always a healing druid in my primary tune, which was um, Singing Tree. We never played very much with Singing Tree, though. I just like I I did a whole like whole left turn into World of Warcraft. When I played before we formed our guild, which is called Frantic. I love that. Um, Yeah. We played with a really big guild and Singing Tree was the primary tune that I used there. But I think when we formed our own guild, we were small enough that we needed the DPS that Gilly Neasel had. I mean, she could slay anything. It was it was it was almost unfair playing with her. Yeah, she was fun. She was hum- human warlock. Mm-hmm, she was. And my singing tree was a druidic elf. I miss Warcraft. I mean, even though I know everybody who plays it now says it's nothing like what it used to be. I miss it so much. Yeah. They're coming out with classic. They're coming back out with like nerfed, uh, you know, like the original iteration of World of Warcraft. Maybe we'll have to play when it comes out. I would love to. It'd be fun. So World of Warcraft and writing. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about your history with writing too? It always has had a, like a helping tone. Even, you know, I'm, I, I've worked as a technical writer of um, software systems for forever, like probably 23, 24 years. And even that, I mean, it's it's always been geared toward helping people piece together something that, you know, left to their own devices would either not work the way they wanted it to, or they wouldn't get the meaning out of it that they need to. And uh, on a personal level, I always knew that I was going to write Gift for the Dreamtime. That was my first book. And it's it's the one that is directly autobiographical and the rest of them kind of have these autobiographical components but they have more um here's how these things show up in your life and here's what you do with them 
but I've, I feel like at this point, my writing still has that, that tone, but I really miss fiction and I want to, I have um, several books in the queue, but I really, really want to publish a novel. I would really like to read one of your novels. You already did. Well, I, I wasn't going to tell everybody. But... <laughs> I want to read it too. I want an autographed copy too. Absolutely. So love you writing. also. I love writing. Think... I would have been insane long, long, long before now without writing. It helps me tremendously. Hell yes to that. Um, so I'm trying to think the other things that we covered about the other two of us. You also play music. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I used to. I, I don't anymore. Um, I played really, really amazing piano um, up until I was probably well, until I left to go to college. And I had to choose if I was going to major in music or if I was going to major in writing pencils were a lot easier to carry around and so that's what I ended up majoring in I just felt like writing was my calling and I could never create in music I could play anything that you put in front of me like in minutes but I couldn't create I couldn't improvise with it and and that was the deciding factor so when I went off to college the piano did not come with and I also didn't sing much anymore after that point and by the time I was out of college and living in my own, um, you know, tenements, I just couldn't have a piano. There wasn't room for one. I moved a bunch and I couldn't drag one all over the place. And so I didn't get my, um, my young adult piano back until I was probably close to 30, like when we moved into this house. And by that point, I was in so much pain, like having problems with my hands and just all over body pain that I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. And so we sold it. But music is the other thing that has given me a sense of being part of something greater than myself. Like where writing has let me evoke and be sane, I feel like music has kind of done the inverse of that and reminded me that there's there are whole other communities out there to connect with. And I'm grateful to the gods for music. What music do you enjoy listening to? You know what? Okay. So only in the last like eight months have I really been able to situate digital music into my life on a daily basis. I, I, I could like I was always listening to the local radio stations and shit in my car and they blow. They blow like I cannot even tell you. So um, I have been listening mostly to Nina Simone and Doc Watson and just just kind of all these throwbacks that I just haven't gotten to listen to in a bazillion years. I love Doc Watson. Yeah. yeah. Some of the music greats, like, you know, I, I understand it comes from a cultural layer that I have a lot of ancestry in. I mean, literally the, the area that he comes from and his people, but the themes just great on my last nerve. I'm like, can y'all just stop singing and play the music? <laughs> well, I mean, for real, you know, like Shady yeah. Grove. Nobody talks about what Shady Grove is really talking about. They just talk about how it's this awesome song and you know, this pillar example of his music, but of bluegrass in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
The lyrics are always what get us in trouble with our history. Yeah, musically. Same, same with writing. I mean, it's, it's just a really concrete way of looking at how we've seen things yeah. over generations. I think that's different. That's one of the different things about music, though, is that like the music itself doesn't really carry those things. So if you, it's, it's, it might be one of the very few things you can look back at historically, at, at you know, purely instrumental music, and it doesn't carry as much of an overt message. I'm gonna have to ponder that. Yeah, I, I still get sucked into some politics around why certain music was created, like particularly yeah. classical music and the regions that it comes from and like who got selected to make it and who didn't. But as far as like the life force that is the melody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was just thinking. As I said it, I was like, yeah, but the people we actually still know and that we still have sheet music for it. And we yeah, that's all shaped. But it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't carry the same overt, like verbal message. Yeah. You know, that stories. Right. Um, okay. So what else do we, what else do you want everyone to know about you? Um, probably that one of the biggest challenges for me in soul work has been dealing with people who say, well, then why are you chronically ill? Mm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a big one. I, I managed health conditions that are serious on, on a daily basis. Um, and if you look at me, you would think there's nothing wrong. Like if you didn't hear me saying these words, you would think, there's nothing wrong. And it factors into everything. It factors into like my gender sense of self, my, my place that I take up, the space that I take up in public, um, the conversations that, that flow past and in. It shows up in everything from, from my vantage point. But I'm, I'm always amused by how other people assume so much just by appearance that is so wrong yeah it it really it's incomplete it's really, it's really astounding what people are willing to quote know about you just based on looking at you yeah and it's it's interesting it's interesting too to have known you for what like probably 19 years and to know um, so I've known you through different phases of that where thing, you know, especially when you have a thing that isn't visible and also doesn't have a name, because I've also known you long enough, you know, back far enough that like you didn't have answers or you didn't have the right and then you didn't have the right answers. And then you had an answer that no one knew anything about. And um, all of those are very different experiences. So there's also there are all these layers to how you have throughout that appeared, you know, just as abled, you know, throughout that whole arc. But there've been so many different experiences internally, I would imagine for you, while it looked the same to everyone outside of you. 
I think the thing that I see when I look back over all of those iterations, I mean, it, it, I say it took me 15 years to get a correct diagnosis, but the reality is it took 45. Mm-hmm. The reality is the shit started in childhood and it evolved to this point. And all these, you know, little myriad of problems that were coming up, nobody was looking at the, the full picture. But I think, you know, I'm really relieved that, that there is conversation happening about Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. There's conversation around MTHFR mutations, uh, you know, all of it, polycystic ovarian disease, all these things that have, have been with me and all the symptoms that show up with them. And the thing that I see in those conversations is a lot of grief for places where I was saying those things and I didn't have any support. And I was saying those things and nobody listened. And I don't mean just doctors. I mean, like friends and and lovers and, you know, people who think that they're showing up and they think that they're being supportive, but they're really not. And that has been really hard to see. I'm really glad the awareness is shifting for invisible illness, period. But I'm like, damn. And you do a lot to promote that too, Kelly. Do I? I I mean, at this point, I'm like, I don't know. Do I? (laughs) I? From my perspective, yes. Mm. Well, and you're doing it right now. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. I mean, we're talking about it, so you're doing it right now. Right. And I think that's important, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think there's – there, I, I can totally connect in different ways to having lived something – lived through something during the period. I mean, because, you know, when something starts in your childhood, it's like there's – for a while, you don't know it. And then you know it, and no one else knows it. Um, literally no one else knows it. And then you know it and a couple people sort of know it, but a doctor doesn't know it yet. It's, it, it, there's just such a, and I would imagine living to the point where doctors know it and other people know it about themselves and about you. And all of a sudden it's a totally different conversation. There's some things about that that can kind of erase the experience you've had prior to this. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the part that's difficult to sit with, with new awareness, like you know, new public awareness. It's like that's great, but I don't get that back. <laughs> I'm not right. going to get that time back. Right, right. Hmm. I think it takes someone very special to be as persistent and consistent as you have been, Kelly. I'm still it's it's not for the go ahead. I was just going to say I'm still blown away by you know on on the rare occasions that I have to go to a brand new specialist they're still assholes like we like after all this after all the documentation after all the experiences with you know dealing with new doctors and having to learn to speak to them in a way that you know the words that they will pay attention to I still walk into offices with new specialists and I I tell them, this is the deal. This is the new thing that's going on that falls under your domain. 
And I need you to be able to handle that without fucking up the balance of all this other stuff. And they go, oh, sure, no problem. I, you know, no, I don't have experience with this. And then they blow it up. <laughs> and I hate that. Yeah. It, well, and it's, I think when it comes to medicine, well, and I don't know if any of us are going to live to the point where that conversation shifts. Because I, I think there's always a moment where... I, yeah, I don't want to say this as a blanket thing, but I think there are a lot of things about medicine uh, that really lend itself to creating professionals who are afraid to ask for consultation, to ask for help, to say, I don't know what I need, everything I need to know. And, and I, I think, no, go ahead. There's a lot around, you know, if, if people perceive that you are in a bio female form, then they are already predispositioning what they're willing to talk about and negotiate in your own health care before you ever open your mouth to share what your experience is. Right. And medicine has, you know, up until very, very recent history been almost exclusively cis male dominated. Right. So the things we, so the things a doctor would leave medical school knowing the most about had to do with cis male bodies. And there's this whole realm of every other person walking the planet that there isn't enough known. And we have a medical profession that's, you know, they're trained to be infallible and trained to be all knowing. And, and um, it's a dangerous combination to not know enough as a profession about certain bodies. Mm-hmm while also being trained to kind of be at the top of the knowledge food chain in ways that just, you know, just creates a dangerous combo. It does. And if you don't fit into that body type, then you, you already are bringing your own fears to your medical care that things are just not going to be addressed. Yeah. On top of the the condition itself or themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's why soul healing doesn't fix everything. This is a systemic problem. This is why you can't just point healing at one person with one condition, one one collection of issues and say, why don't you get better? You do soul work because the system is broken and communal healing has to happen. I'll get mm-hmm. that soapbox now. You know I won't. I think that's a good soapbox. So I think it's one that needs to be heard. <laughs> so for my end, just go for it, Kelly. Keep going. How many soapboxes do you have? <laughs> What's the soapbox to do? Here? <laughs> hmm. So we have to make sure that we do uh, some some of the questions. What did... I'm, I'm thinking like word association, but we also had other questions that were just kind of, you know, random factoids. So let me try to think of some. Your first cassette. My what? Your first cassette. Um, you know what? I, that I don't remember, but I remember my first vinyl was the mm-hmm. extended play version of um, Tainted Love. It was like 12 minutes. I still have it. Nice. I have looking at it right now. Seriously. 
it's in the salon. Mm. What's one of the first books that you fell in love with? To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. What was it about that book? At the time that I read it, I found a level of honesty in conversations that wasn't happening in my real life. I don't look back and see that now, but I can hold it with respect to the era that I first read it and say, yes, this is the way we're supposed to be talking about shit. That's interesting. That's how I think about East of Eden, too. I think it spoke honestly to something that wasn't being spoken about honestly about my experience growing up with good, with, you know, just the nature of people and what they're capable of. Yeah, I get that. Um, Let's see. Let's see. What clubs were you in in school? Did you play sports or join clubs? Wow. Um, no and no. Um, I think I was in the French club for a while and I was in chorus for a while. Um, I have never played a sport in my life except like by accident, maybe once or twice. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think there was anything else. I was like on the yearbook staff and um, the English club and even into college. Mm. Kelly, do you do any kind of artwork? Um, you know what? I haven't been and I miss it. And that is also due to disability issues, just pain issues. I really love mixed media artwork. I love paint. I love working with clay. I love working with dead things and all their stuff. And I love working like nature elements into mixed media as much as possible. Anything with runes, slap some runes in there. Mm -hmm. I love dead things and all their stuff. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Um, how do you connect with, how do you now, like what's your way of sort of in an ongoing way connecting with your guides? What's your method now, at, you know, compared to a fairly traditional, like, or not traditional, but modern shamanic, techniques what would you call your techniques now for connecting with source or guides or ancestors or whatever that is for you now it's more about being present and I and I feel like that's such an empty phrase like it doesn't mean anything you hear it so often it doesn't mean anything but I I feel like it's about being in my body it like I have, and not just like aware of what hurts and what's tired and how you know how much sleep I haven't gotten, but but being in my body like here, because if I'm in my body, then I'm in the animistic network of the space I'm in, and and that happens. That awareness is somewhat automatic now. Like my guides will just start talking. I don't have to do an induction there doesn't have to be drumming or rattling it just it happens you know sometimes spontaneously and and I can sit there and say what do you think about whatever and I can I'm there I'm with them I hear them but as far as like you know how to be sacred where I'm standing it's it's taking the time to do it just taking the awareness into my body and realizing that my body is part of the nature around me 
Yeah, I really like that. I like that. And it resonates for how it's evolved for me too. What, what is some of the ritual ritualistic aspect of just what are the things that help you be in your body or more intentionally than just walking around, you know, what, what helps pull you even further into your body to, to engage that way? Breath work. I mean, without hesitation, that that's the big one is breath work, like being completely aware of my breath and like the depth of it and where it's moving, what part of my lungs, what part of my rib cage is expanding and how it comes out. And does it feel like what went in is, is the same that's coming out? And is it as strong when it comes out? Just all those nuances of a breath that we don't talk about in Western culture. And the other thing is um, galdering. I galder the runes like a maniac. And that that sense of how that vibration comes into my body, for me, it's very personal because the runes are everything. They are the keys to the universe as far as I'm concerned. And when I can bring that in on my breath and that shit sits in my body, that is magic. It does stuff. Like I feel it. And so I I usually take time maybe three or four mornings a week, like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking to galder whatever needs to come up. And it seems like, you know, I can say, you know, this is kind of what's on my plate right now. And this rune would be a good one to help me gain awareness around it and galder that. But most of the time, my body just determines what it's going to be. And it feels so good. I hear that in your voice. Mm. Well, it fills a gap that singing um, can't really do for me anymore. If I'm conscientious of what words are coming out of my mouth, or I have to have forethought about the sounds, it is not trancy anymore. There's too much mind in it. And that's a, a need that Galder fills for me. I love that. Okay. Quick question slash. Well, I want to do a word association, but I also want to ask, uh, what are, what are your key astrological aspects? Um, it's kind of like math. I'd sort of forget. I mean, I know it, but I can't ever call it. Um, I am an eighth house, um, second deccan cancer. I am, I think I'm a Libra moon and a Scorpio rising. Mm. And, I'm, and that's, that's it though. As far as like the super personal ones, I can't ever remember the rest of it, but I have both Neptune and Jupiter retrograde in the first house. And so I'm like, I, I'm, that's why I can barely make it out of bed every morning. Yeah, because it's all dreamy and like, well, it'll get done. <laughs> I can never get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. And your what about your uh, Harry Potter house? That's what I was gonna say, Janet. You're saying it at the same time. <laughs> I know, great minds. But I didn't hear it. It's your Ravenclaw. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Everybody is like, oh, you would be Gryffindor. And I'm like, that's what you think. <laughs> no. 
I'm like, you're not thinking that. But whenever I really sit with like my real motivations, I feel Slytherin. And everybody's like, you're not Slytherin. You're so nice. You're so kind. You're so giving. And I'm like, the fuck you know. <laughs> so after watching, I struggled with that. Y'all know I did. Mm-hmm. And, and after watching Sailor Jay's perspective on what Ravenclaw really is, it was put to bed. Yes, Ravenclaw. I'll put that video in the show notes because oh it's God. fucking hilarious. The truth. It is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so, I love I love all of her uh, astro sign videos. Mm-hmm. So those are terrific. Yeah. Favorite current color? Purple. Forever. Hmm. Instrument you would play if you didn't play piano. If you were to just pick one up and you could play any of them, which one would you pick? Ukulele. Hmm. Do you have one, Janet? Question. Do I have one? Question. Oh, um, I was going to go to word association. Okay, you start. Okay. Twilight. What? Twilight. Are you hearing me? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear your answer, but it felt like there was an answer. I just didn't hear it. Oh yeah, that was that was the answer. I was I was intuiting that answer. Um, <laughs> Sleepy. Okay. Cracker. Wheat. <laughs> There's a story there. There's a story there. So, like, pretty much everybody in my family is really white. I mean, they're, like, really white. And for some reason, me and my niece are not. And so they call us the wheat crackers. Oh gosh! And everybody else is crackers, and they call us the wheat crackers. So there you go. You can edit that frying pan. <laughs> Would you say frying pan? Frying pan, yes. Is that what you said? Yum. Mm. <laughs> Lightning. Ouch! There's a story there too. Mm. <laughs> Glue. Dirt. <laughs> Randy, we're talking together. <laughs> we're on the same wavelength. Oh, well. <laughs> <Stop> dirty. <laughs> hmm. Okay, last one. You pick it, Janet. Dirt. Sneeze. Ah. Hmm. Okay. Do we feel like we know enough about Kelly now? I don't think we ever know enough about Kelly, but do we cover all? Did we do the Myers Briggs? Mm. Yeah, see, I'm not a big fan of the Myers Briggs. That's why you're an ENFP. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Or INFP? I'm I'm a switch on that. But I mean, anything that two white chicks sit around the dining room table and decide they're going to judge people against does not get my vote. (laughs) I'm not a big fan of it. For real. So, yeah, I think we know. I think we know the big stuff, which is good. Stuff that I think the listeners will really like too. I feel like we covered. I feel like uh, we covered a lot about your animistic history, 
Did we? Just sort of <laughs> organically. Yeah. Okay. I think maybe more than the other two of us. But you have like a much longer history, I think, of knowing your animism. Which is good. I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for it, too. It's, I think it's where Janet and I both have learned much of ours. Continuously, too. Yeah. Because it doesn't stop just after the intensive. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, where can everyone find you, too? I mean, it's in the intro or the outro, one of the two. But just to be really emphasize it for this episode, where can everyone find you? Um, soulintentarts.com. That's the primary hub. You can email me from there. You can learn about the classes that I teach. You can find the weekly room there which I always say I post it every week. I'm like, that's the name. People know that. It's the weekly room. And I don't know what else do I do. You can get information about my books at soulintentarts.com also. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting us pick, pick at your brain. Thank you. That was the funnest. That was super fun. This is fun. <laughs> and we are going to, I think we decided to next week have another episode instead of waiting two weeks so that we could talk a bit about summer solstice so um, if you have thoughts or questions about summer solstice call into the show on anchor and leave a message uh, message on tumblr um, and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear or what you have to contribute about solstice and we will chat about season next week i look forward to it yes so we will talk to you all soon and i will talk to you ladies later thank you Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.